evening, everybody. Welcome to Rose City Politics. My name is John Lidke. You are joining us on July 22nd. We have a packed show for you this evening, and we've got a packed panel for you as well this evening. First up, we got Doug Sartori. Doug, how are you today? Having a great one. Good to hear. We have Pat Papadeus. Pat, how are you? Really glad to be on. Uh, you know what? I love our show opening. Every time I listen to it, it makes me so happy. I don't get tired of it. I love it. That is great to hear. I feel the same way. We have Don Maryfield Jr. Don, how are you? I'm good. Just rounded out the old white people contingent on the show. So <laughs> The old white person contingent. You're the oldest one, right, Don? I don't uh, think so. Uh, Let's not get into that. <laughs> It is good to have all of us here. If you are listening to us and you are already a Patreon subscriber, thank you. You help make this show possible. If you're not a Patreon subscriber, now is a great time to sign up for that, please. And as always, we do always give our great thank you to Leuna625, Building Better Communities, who helps make this program possible as well. So tonight, as we said, we've got a lot to get into. We're going to be talking about an interim control bylaw that's seeking to regulate Windsor grouped homes and shelters. We're going to be talking about the new mixed-use international village that will be coming to the old Grace Hospital site in Windsor. Ward 7 has a Telly Town Hall taking place tonight, and uh, fortunately for Ward 7 residents, Drew Dilkins is there to listen to everything you want to hear as your elected representative. And then we will also be diving into an open data portal that Essex County has launched, and I'm thinking that Doug Sartori is going to be taking the lead on that segment there as it's a... It's the resident tech corner with Doug. We haven't had a developer, Don, at the end. We're, we're bumping you up to the middle. So that, that's good for you, Don. Making my way up the ladder, man. I'll be running this joint in no time. <laughs> so let's dive right in. Our thanks to AM800's Gord Bacon for putting this out on the 16th. Interim control bylaw to regulate Windsor group homes and shelters. The city has placed a freeze on all new lodging homes, group homes, and emergency shelters via an interim control bylaw that was approved at council. Mayor Dilkins says group homes and shelters are important, but they shouldn't just be allowed to pop up anywhere in the city. Quote, he said, we want to make sure lodging homes and emergency shelters are located in the appropriate places in the city. There are some today that are probably not in the right location. The article then goes on to say that the downtown mission is one example of a shelter that sits in the downtown core and then moves on to say that Mayor Dilkins has raised concerns about the placement of that shelter, which has uh, sparked a conversation. So using that as the jumping off point, Pat, I'm just going to come to you right off the bat with this one. What's your take on seeing this new bylaw and what it means for, you know, I guess just the state of the city as a whole? So, yeah, you know, I happen, anytime the, the mission is uh, mentioned, I happen to have strong opinions. So, sure, I'll start this one off. Uh, I, I think that if we didn't have any um, aspects of taking a look at the overall planning of our community and where um, some of, you know, group home, lodging homes and emergency shelters go, then it's about time that we did, frankly. So, um, you know, I don't really know that um, the impetus behind this uh, interim control bylaw was the mission. 
I did happen to listen to uh, the Dan McDonald show on AM800 uh, earlier today uh, in preparation for um, our program tonight. And uh, uh, Reverend uh, Ron Dunn, uh, the executive director of the mission, was on. So I have uh, lots uh, to say about that interview. So for those that didn't listen to it, I'll, I'll provide you with some uh, context and try to do it justice and, and what I think about what was said on that program. But um, he clearly thinks that uh, the interim control bylaw, the impetus behind that was the mission. Uh, he reminds me of the Carly, you know, Simon song, um, you know, you're so vain, uh, you probably think this interim control bylaw is about you. Um, but uh, e even if it is, uh, good for uh, the city for taking a look at it. And, um, you know, I don't know if other people want to get in there, but, uh, you know, some preliminary opinions about that. But I'm, I'm prepared to sort of dive into uh, what Ron Dunn had to say about it and um, what I think about that. So, uh, you know, I, I agree with you, Pat. I think there needs to be some kind of regulation of where uh, this type of facility goes in the city. I find it really interesting that um, the mayor was the chair of the library board when uh, they sold the downtown central library to the mission, um, because this is quite a change of heart for him from, you know, facilitating and actually selling the property for this type of facility to now um, coming around to this perspective. So that's kind of interesting. The, the only concern I have is that um, I think we, we probably most of us will agree that, uh, you know, the, the main street of a business district uh, is maybe not the best place for this type of facility. I think also of um, street help over on Wyandotte Street in the, uh, in the uh, um, Wyandotte BIA that also uh, is on a main street and maybe not the best for commerce. But the concern I would have is that who is actually going to want it in their neighborhood, this type of facility. And so if we open up the conversation to um, we need to approve this, is there not going to be a line of delegates from whatever neighborhood a facility is going into um, at, at the council meeting that is considering that matter? So, you know, this is a, a really good point. Um, uh, and it's not just the businesses, of course, and then we have the residential neighborhood. So my, my understanding of this is that um, it, this interim control bylaw and of course, uh, um, what happens to it in terms of the process to make it an actual bylaw would would require essentially council approval to put it in a commercial and or residential neighborhood and i think that makes um an abundance of, of sense uh what it doesn't say is industrial although that's really interesting could you put that without rezoning and wouldn't that itself require um uh, permission but either way i think that we do have some particularly in the city of windsor and i mean that's that's the the relevant um uh, area that we're talking about that there are some uh, uh, industrial areas that abut commercial and some residential where uh, it would actually make some real sense that there's some uh, barriers, if you will, natural uh, by design, if you will, depending on zoning, where uh, it would make a lot more sense than others. And I think that, uh, and, and this is where I would agree with Ron Dunn uh, in, in some of the comments that he made on that show is like, you know, they can't win. Nobody wants them uh, around them. I think, however, that there is a, an opportunity for taking a look at it and finding solutions that are a best fit and not a disastrous fit uh, for the in the community. So 
absolutely. Uh, they should not be, um, you know, just because something is zoned. This is not like anything else. This is not just about emergency shelters. It is about group homes and lodging homes. And I think that there is a need to um, uh, address what is a good fit uh, in, in taking a look at our urban planning and, and what goes where. Um, I, I, I would agree. I mean, we're talking about a city. Uh, when it comes to zoning, this is the responsibility of what we elect our councillors to do, is to determine what the best uses are, to take the input from administration. Um, so I don't think it's egregious by any means to have this conversation. I will just pick up after what Doug was saying, though. Um, just, just amazing comments from the mayor um, in this article. He goes on to say, so many people looked at us and said, how could you ever let an emergency shelter locate on your main street? It was a valid question. And so we unpacked the answer to that question. It was clear that they followed all the rules that were in place at the time. Um, and going back to what you said, Doug, the mayor was the chair of a library board within, you know, very recent calendar memory of bringing about exactly this situation. And here he is now doing a complete about face. And, you know, I don't think that's surprising for many council watchers to see, but man, to just read the hypocrisy in black and white on the page there, it really, really does stand out. But, you know, at the end of the day, these are going to be very nimby concerns. Um, that's going to happen. I think there, as has been said by uh, both of you already, there are going to be people that say, you know, I don't necessarily want this in my neighborhood, but we have to look past those types of very easy oppositional arguments because at the end of the day, we need to make sure that, you know, the people in our community are cared for and that they're being treated uh, well. Well, so, so let me, let me uh, jump into this point. You know, uh, at one point in the conversation, Dan McDonald asked um, uh, Ron Dunn, what do you say to the people on Victoria in particular, where that shelter, where, where the housing uh, portion of it happens? What do you say to them uh, uh, about what has happened to their neighborhood? And, and this is not the neighborhood that they moved into. And, you know, he sort of, you know, you know, backhanded kind of says, well, I agree with them. But, you know, what you need to understand is a lot of those people moved into that neighborhood knowing that the mission was there. The mission uh, has been on that main strip and in that downtown core for many, many years. Uh, you know, that's presuming that some people moved there after and, and you know, that ha hasn't been there for, they haven't been living there longer. But be that as it may, um, you know, what's interesting is he himself talks about the, 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 the changes that have made it so much worse. And I'm just going to use that language. And, and for those that see the picture behind me on, on the still shot that we do for, for this program, you're going to see this was a picture that I took down uh, going down one day to the farmer's market to see what was happening there um, um, in the parking lot of the municipal lot. And that is about being a good neighbor. And a lot has happened. And for sure, we have more social, social issues. We have a rise in, in the number of people experiencing homelessness. Uh, we have a rise in um, people, or at least, is it a rise? I don't know. I mean, this is not based on data, but we visibly, we see that we have a lot more social issues that need addressing. And uh, visibly, we can see uh, this happening, uh, you know, literally on the streets or in the alleys in our downtown core. So um, there are things that have changed. I assume that those there, there's been a rise, but there's also been a corresponding change in how uh, with the new leadership under Ron Dunn, 
um, there hasn't been that community consultation. And, you know, there's this, this righteousness, and I'm going to say cockiness to everything um, that he says when he responds to these issues. Now, um, you know, he says he wasn't surprised by the interim control bylaw, but then he was a little bit surprised. And then he went on to say this. He says, you know what? That interim control bylaw is not going to stop us. And in many ways, John, what you refer to as the mayor suddenly in an about face, also don't forget that there was, you know, mud on that face uh, because um, of how that went down. That property was then flipped. Uh, the mayor and council had to wear what happened to the library. You know, Ron Dunn in that conversation talks about, you know what, I'm really disappointed that, um, you know, we had, there was no consultation or no warning about this and why don't they talk to us? You mean kind of like the way that there was, you know, conversation about what was going to happen to the library building when you, you know, couldn't pull your mortgage together. You know, there's some hypocrisy in all of that. We, we want to have a conversation when uh, we feel we're being beaten up on, but we don't want to have a conversation when we are asked by community members and business uh, BIAs and businesses themselves to have a conversation about while you're there, um, how is it that we can all coexist? In other words, you know, and I don't want to go to the extreme. I am not a fan of people who say, I went downtown and I saw somebody who was homeless and I don't want to see that. You know what? Too bad. Um, or or um, what they see. It's not about what you see. It's about whether this interferes with what it is you're also doing down there. If you're running a business and, you know, people are uh, sleeping in your alcove when you get there in the morning, uh, when there is other things happening that should not be happening in front of the commercial district or in your backyard or in your front yard when you're a resident. These are the things. Um, it's not just where people are. I, I look at, at that picture behind me and I think that there's a much more dignified way that we could be um, uh, establishing um, what uh, um, what these look like, what these shelters look like, including outdoor spaces uh, that don't involve cement and exposure to people driving by. I'm not trying to hide anything, but I think that people do, you know, uh, why, why allow something to happen in an alley when it can happen, you know, in, a, in, a, in an environment that's surrounded by trees and benches and people can sit down and have, you know, we, we just are not having that kind of conversation. So getting back to this interim control bylaw, what was interesting is he says, you know what, it's no big deal. It's not really going to affect the mission because we already have a shelter on Ouellette. And so this is not retroactive. Um, what it does do, and this is where once you recognize this MO of Ron Dunn, you can never unsee it, this veiled threat. And this is what happened uh, with, with the uh, library. You know, he basically says, you know, this is what's happening right now that people don't know. We've been partnering uh, or we have conversations with business people. He mentions three in particular, one by name, two big ones. Um, who are working with us because they have a vested interest, this is fascinating, uh, to see us off the main drag. And, uh, and I am, I'm positive that this is true. This is where these businesses, um, if we look at it, probably investors in the downtown core, trying to work with Ron Dunn and the mission to say, look, can we help you find a better location, another location, one that works for everyone? And uh, to the extent that that is you know, possible. And uh, so that's the conversation happening now. So in fact, what he says is that city council by doing this might be jeopardizing the actual opportunity 
for the mission to be moving its housing portion off the main drag. So like this is this bail threat. What's interesting is it's the first time that I've heard him this language used. He said it won't impact uh, their plans for the property on Ulant and Elliot. And, you know, you'll remember that that's the property that they purchased as a result of flipping the library, uh, um, uh, you know, on Ulant and uh, working that deal out with that private investor who bought the library and then landing with that uh, vacant lot there on Elliot and Ulant. And as he said at the time, that was never intended to be a shelter. So therefore, this interim control bylaw does not uh, impact that. My language, or at least the language that I recall about that property, was that was going to be where some other services and their offices were going to be relocated. Uh, on that interview on July 16th on AIM 800, it was the first time that I heard actually it being to refer to as a church. And I found that fascinating. So uh, for those, did anybody hear that before? Had anybody heard that what was going to get built on Elliot and Ouellette is a church? Anybody? Not at all. So let me let me be the first to share this if you didn't listen to the Dan McDonald show. And I, I encourage you to do it. One, because Dan's a great interviewer and, uh, and a great show. And, and number two, because I think you'll find um, what is said there quite, quite interesting. So there you have it, a church. For those of us that do know um, what the meaning of putting a church on a property means, there are certainly some uh, incredible tax incentive uh, uh, opportunities by calling it that. So there you have it. Um, but I think uh, what's also interesting, an interesting take from that conversation is that, in fact, there are um, people working with Ron Dunn uh, and in, there's going to be a meeting with Ron and the city and some other uh, stakeholders on August 12th to take a look at some opportunities to be moving the mission uh, off the main strip. And um, so that to me sounds um, like, a, like a very uh, hopeful opportunity. But I think the fundamental problem is this, and I'm going to repeat it and he's not going to like it and he's going to badmouth me on social media. Um, but that's just the way that I see it. The main problem uh, of why we're even having this conversation is how that mission has been run under Ron Dunn's leadership. Um, I don't think that it needed to be as bad as it is. And I think that there could have been uh, better um, uh, community conversations and understanding in order to put things in place where it didn't have to come to that. So um, hopefully that wherever they go, um, there is a better relationship with the surrounding stakeholders uh, because of course uh, we can simply um, uh, relive it in another location. Um, anyway, so, so those are my comments about that. I'm just gonna throw this, uh, let, me, let me just jump in just really yeah. quickly. I don't know, 30 years later, seeing Paul Borelli's Joker's Bar turning into a church if that's not downtown revitalization, I don't know what is. It's going to be nothing. Not I, I, I yeah. know that's a ha ha. I think that, you know, what interesting is what he says is, is, is this is another takeaway that I had from that, that he talks about the city having to come to the table and needing their support to make this happen, this move, this, this supposed move. And he goes on to say, it's not just, you know, support in allowing us uh, once we pick a location to, with the go ahead to uh, uh, create 
uh, what we need there, but also they're going to have to come to the table with money. So I thought that was a really interesting thing. He mentions that the mission is unfunded. Uh, he mentions that several times, and it's always been part of the uh, fundraising drive. You know, the, you know the, the, the photographs, I, I think, uh, unfortunate photographs that uh, use uh, uh, people who, who require the services of the mission uh, in order to say, look, look how, how the need is. Um, we just simply don't have the resources to be cleaning up. This is a big problem. We need more money, more money, more money. We're unfunded. And yet, um, I don't know that he wants to be funded because that would require a great deal more accountability. Um, you know, he, they have uh, been fortunate with the funding that have, has come from provincial and federal uh, levels during COVID. Um, and I think that was a saving grace in, in some, you know, and I don't mean that in any nice way, but uh, in some ways, because there's no question that their fundraising, private fundraising has gone down. And he blames a certain city councilor for that. But I think he has himself to blame to a large extent in terms of the shenanigans that have gone on. But um, so this is a real opportunity for their board uh, to the extent that their board is, you know, in fact, um, uh, meaningfully engaging in directing the organization uh, in addition and that meaning meaning that their executive director is accountable to them as opposed to leading um, uh, the other way around but uh, he you know he talks about things like homelessness um, you know that they need to support organizations like his uh, the biggest you know uh, food bank in the area that um, you know that the, the, the organizations that are helping those experiencing homelessness get into housing environment this is the language that he used well where's the data on that show us the data of you know who comes through the doors how long they stay in the door what services and supports you put in place how long you know did they transition into housing show us all of that that none of that happens so it's really really easy for somebody like ron dunn to simply stand on a pulpit um soon to be a church uh, saying, look at the good work we're doing. It's charitable. It's a big need. Give us money. City supporters, give us money. And everybody else who has any, who questions us in any way is a NIMBY. So just to zoom out a little bit, um, this interim control bylaw is, uh, uh, represents a policy failure. Uh, and I think actually the growth of the growth of the mission and associated services in our community represent a policy failure kind of in the same way that i think that um, the miracle drive a couple of weeks ago represents a policy failure and the the failure here is at the provincial level i think um, the municipality doesn't really have the resources to have an impact on um on the intertwined issues of addictions mental health and homelessness in our community so without absent senior government bringing resources and solutions to the table, um, we have band-aids. And so the mission is a band-aid. The, the, um, all of the services that give you know, direct services and growing amounts of services to, um, to people who need them are a band-aid on a problem that does not require bigger band-aids. And so now we have the municipality coming in and doing uh, something that I think is appropriate, but in itself is a band-aid on the problem. So at what point are we going to take all of these band-aids off and um, clean the wound underneath and, and really treat it? Absolutely. And then they go, you know, and this is where I do agree again with Ron Dunn. Uh, uh, you know, we have to address 
some of the uh, bigger social issues. I know where you're going with the province, uh, uh, Doug, uh, but then again, we I didn't look at what other municipalities are doing under really similar circumstances. Um, but uh, for sure, we have to address um, some bigger picture things, uh, even as a community, housing, of course, um, and, and, and solutions to housing, which we have um, uh, let go way, way too long. And not even is it, not only is it we put band-aids on it, we were part of the festering problem and uh, wouldn't even address it. Well, if I can jump in here for two seconds, I've been pretty quiet up to this point. Uh, I mean, I think Pat pretty laid out the whole situation pretty well. Uh, I do think it's, so when the whole library deal happened, I think when that was first announced, I think there was a lot of pushback from the community that they didn't want uh, the mission on OLET. Uh, everybody thought it was a bad idea. So I think I think this is a bit of a saving grace for the mayor because now he can come off and say, well, you know, I listened to the people and they didn't want that. Now that the deal went to hell in a handbasket anyway, kind of, He's got, a, he's got an offer to kind of make himself look good on that situation. Uh, I'm surprised there hasn't been any uh, controls or bylaws as to where these type of facilities can go. Uh, so obviously it's a good thing that's happening now, but again, it's probably, I mean, there's a lot out there that you're not going to be able to change because they're already grandfathered. So, you know, Ron does have a point. There's not going to be a heck of a lot they can do at this point. Uh, and again, I agree with Pat on the situation with the, with the mission, I think. I don't think he's been, look, I live in the area. I drive by the mission all the time. or ride by my motorcycle all the time. It's always chaos out there. Uh, the property itself on the outside is not taken care of. And in my opinion, if you're going to be a good neighbor in a residential area, that's something that is very important that the mission has let fall by the wayside. And I know the opinion, even when he was on our show previously was, you know, it's not my problem. My problem is the mission and the homeless people and helping them. And, you know, if the neighbors don't like it too bad. So, I think, yeah, you know, in traveling around, I mean, most people have gone to big cities, right? You tend to see missions and homeless shelters that generally in more commercial areas. They try to keep them out of residential areas. And I think people are going to go wherever the services are. It's not like you have to be downtown because that's where the people who use the mission are. I think they're going to go where the services are. So, you know, I think Pat made some good points. Uh, I think the mayor's using this as a bit of a stick it to the mission, uh, but also a bit of saving face that now I can say, well, I listened to the people, the people didn't want it on the main street, and now I'm doing something about it. So it's going to be interesting to see where this goes goes forward. And to Pat's point about some of the other businesses in the area, I mean, you got the Valente Development Corp doing that quote-unquote luxury apartments down there. Uh, so I think, you know, there are going to be people in that general area who really don't want it. There business people who probably will throw a bit of money at them and try to help them to go to go somewhere else that would be less intrusive on their investments. Yeah, and just, I guess, before we move on to the next topic, just to go back to what you said, Pat, with regards to what Ron said on the Dan McDonald show earlier, um, in regards to when people you know, bought houses, they were aware that the mission was there. Um, I can tell you, like, my parents bought a house on Victoria Avenue going back 28 years uh, when the mission was in its original footprint, it was where Jade was, uh, the restaurant. It was not a very large, continually sprawling complex that kept growing and growing. And again, I don't think anyone's here trying to criticize the work that's being done to help people, but you know, it's, uh, it, it's hard to balance these issues, I guess, is the last thought on that. 
Well, actually, also one more point if I can make real quick. If he's going to be building, like I assume he's looked into this, but I assumed a lot of things that turned out not to be true. Uh, you can't just put a church anywhere either. There's, it's called, those are zone, like community halls and things like that, any gathering place. So there are rules as to where you can put churches. And if anyone from Canada Revenue Agency is listening, my real estate business is actually a religious organization. So I am tax exempt. So just keep that in mind if you're auditing my taxes this year. <laughs> and if you want to sell your house, there's an icon that, that says for sale that can be placed on your lawn. 100%, yeah. <laughs> Maryfield.com has all the details, folks. <laughs> Junior.com, idiot. <laughs> well, moving right along, thank you to CBC's Chris Ensing for putting this one out, um, even though I believe that this is actually just a share of the direct release. The City of Windsor has selected Fairmont Properties as the developer for mixed-use international village at the former Grace Hospital site. The expression of interest, the process was launched in May of last year and included a thorough process to ensure that the city's goals for, quote, community renewal and urban revitalization would be met. Fairmont Properties and their project team are going to be transforming the six-acre site into a mixed-use, quote, international village, which will be anchored by residential, retail, dining, office, and open space. The group includes Windsor area firms, Act Architectura and Oscar Construction Company Limited. Fairmont Properties selected each of these organizations because of their, quote, leadership, which understood the important social compact of the community and the neighborhood. And, you know, looking at the designs that have been put forward, they look really good. Um, you know, it's, I think it's what most people would hope to see developed out of a site that sat empty for a number of years as the future proposed home of an acute care facility, which is not going to happen and that sign's been taken down. But Don, I'm gonna to wanna to bring you back into this right away um, as we're, you know, we're gonna call this one a developer Don Corner. Uh, what, are, what, are, what are your thoughts on what you're seeing here? Is this gonna be a successful endeavor from just a, you know, a real estate perspective or what do, what do you think? Uh, I don't see why it wouldn't be. Uh, you know, if you're gonna use, obviously residential is what, you know, many people in the community want as far as an intensive intensification process, there's going to be, I would assume there's going to be a mix of, uh, from what I read in the release anyway, some lower income housing and then, you know, mixed in with your typical normal quote unquote priced housing. Uh, at least in commercial, I mean, it's a great piece of property. It's right in the core of the city. Uh, it's a great opportunity for something to happen there. You know, I'm not going to hold my breath till I actually see a shovel on the ground. We've heard many announcements there before. Uh, Looking at just looking at an old article, so it's ten, it's ten to eighteen acres is the size of. Uh, oh no, sorry, that's not right. But as far so, I don't quote me on this. We were discussing it before the show. We believe that the developer paid one point two million dollars for that property. If you're valuing that property off of a commercial basis, that's probably not too far too far off. Now, if you're if you're valuing that property off a residential basis, uh, that's really cheap. Uh, building lots for houses are a lot more expensive than building houses for, for commercial or industrial. So, I mean, they got a good deal on it. They're going to consult with the community. Uh, I, you know, I think the community has waited a long time to have something happen with that site. Uh, hopefully this actually comes to fruition. Uh, and from, like I say, from the tentative plans I've seen, it seems like a great idea. Someone's going to make a shitload of money there. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't, I don't, I don't think there, any development there right now to me isn't a bad plan unless you're building another, you know, hockey arena or 
failing swimming pool. So I think uh, I think it'll I think it'll turn out all right. Yeah, Don, just picking up on what you're saying, like the um, the proposal, at least to the level of detail that we've seen and what's been out there publicly, uh, it certainly sounds like something that will change that neighborhood for the better. Um, I don't I don't imagine that there's much that could be worse than a big vacant lot, except, of course, for a big derelict building. So it's, you know, it's going to make an improvement when it happens, if it happens, as as you point out, there's still a long, a long road to go. Um, one of the things that struck me uh, about it was the uh, ambitious pace. These folks want to move very, very quickly. Uh, I saw some commentary to the effect that they're um, uh, online, that their uh, timelines for passing through the approval process and the consultation process are ambitious uh, to the point of perhaps being unrealistic. So Hopefully um, they can move as quickly as they want to, but that, you know, that's, um, that's something that's been kind of a uh, festering sore for a long time, a piece of property that needs to be developed in the city. So it's really exciting to see it moving forward. Well, doing quickly is important because right now, you know, if anyone pays attention to the real estate market, Windsor prices are increasing dramatically. Uh, and when that happens, costs also increase dramatically on the on the building front. So I think the sooner they get the shovel in the ground, the, they can limit their their costs on that and take advantage of appreciation quickly. Because uh, I don't see the prices of any kind of real estate slowing down. The only, yeah, the only thing, you know, if you look around Windsor, our commercial vacancy rate is actually pretty high. There's you know, you go down any main street, and there's you know those little mixed use uh, storefronts with apartments up. So there's a lot of vacant ones. I, I you know throwing this you know, X number, hundreds of thousands of square feet onto the market and the commercial market is going to affect negatively some of those, you know, kind of smaller developments. And I don't, you know, just me personally, I don't think we really need a lot more commercial space. I think we need a lot more good commercial space, which is very different. Uh, we have a lot of commercial space. That's bad. Uh, you know, I don't want to pick on downtown or Wyandotte Street area, but there's a lot of that space down there that it's available, but it's not in great shape and it's, it's hard to compete with you know, a new development on a Walker Road or someplace like that for commercial tenants. So I think this is also going to, this will also uh, add a little bit of fire to that situation. So I think some of the landowners in the core areas that are already there may have to up their game and fix their properties up to make it more uh, leasable or sellable. Uh, but all in all, I think this is a good project, you know, and for the people in the neighborhood, I, you know, people live like on what streets are over there. Oh, yeah, all those. It's just going to increase their property values exponentially. So, you know, go buy as many houses as you can right on Oak Street and make fortune in a couple of years. Uh, so I can't see the neighbors complaining about it. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of just a park now across the street, which is nice, but they had to live with, you know, a huge eyesore there for a long time. So I don't see any negative to this. I don't, I don't see what the problem is really. Yeah. I mean, if it actually causes some, um, uh, you know, commercial property owners to uh, up their game uh, in other locations, that, that also would not be a, a bad thing. But that's certainly not where my mind went in, in terms of all the good that can come from this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that is in the works is the um, reworking of University Avenue anyway. I believe it's in a an environmental assessment phase. So, so the um, uh, streetscaping and reconfig you know, re reworking of University Avenue corridor uh, hopefully will coincide with this. So that will uh, certainly, uh, you know, that, that gateway between uh, downtown and across uh, university will be also really, really important. 
for that. Uh, you know what, Don? Maybe part of, uh, or it was Doug that I think said how aggressive the timeline is. Uh, whoever said it, uh, that might have been part of, you know, it was an EOI, right? So this expression of interest and they came with a plan and, uh, you know, whatever all the factors were, probably how quickly they could develop it, I would think would have been an, uh, a high up criteria for for the city. Uh, you can have a fantastic plan, but if you can't you get a shovel in the ground, you know, for 18 years, what good is it? I mean, it might as well be the hospital, for goodness sakes. So, so um, you know, well, it's kind of ironic because it was uh, the Grace Hospital site. I mean, that's how we all affectionately know it as. Um, I think what's really exciting about this, and I, I, I'm just going to point this out in terms of the commercial development that may happen there. I don't know what they want to get in there, but I suspect that those commercial pieces are going to be very much to, um, uh, to, to service the community, the direct um, development that is happening on that parcel of land, which I believe is six acres, and uh, the walking distance community, because what's fascinating about this when you look at it, and uh, you know, I think it was Doug that mentioned it before the show, uh, where's the parking? Uh, no surface parking. How incredible is that? Um, there is parking. You just can't see it because guess what? Parking can be done, does not have to be this, you know, huge, you know, slab of cement, Dorwin Plaza. Um, uh, it, it can be done in other ways, including underground. So that is pretty fascinating. So when you figure that's where it is, um, you know, it's not one of those pull up into the plaza and I can park in front because that's how I like to do my shopping. So I'm actually going to choose to go between Costco or the Grace site. I think that they're, they're planning a development that is very much, uh, especially the multi-residential um, uh, aspects of it, uh, a very, very exciting project that will, um, if, if it works out the way it's intended, I think reinvigorate the neighborhood, which is uh, what is so essential. And when you take a look at this residential component, add the Hive, add the Valenti property on Ottawa, uh, on, on Ouellette, add the uh, development across from the Tim Hortons there on Wyandotte and Crawford. Um, there are some really, you know, exciting um, um, residential developments that we have not seen here for a very very long time i'm really excited about the grace hospital site um, well, this is this is where uh all of us on this show are so out of touch with the pulse of the people of windsor because we look at that um we looked at those uh designs and and we all said to ourselves in different ways this is exciting this is going to revitalize a neighborhood but what Windsor collectively did was look at that artist rendering and say, where the fuck is the parking? Yeah. <laughs> Windsor needs more parking. Um, fascinating, well, you know, right? I, I think what Pat said is right because, for, look, I have a brother who lives down south, so I go down south quite a bit. And, you know, he lives kind of in a suburb of Atlanta, so it's kind of expanded a lot over the last 20 years. But if you go down there, the way they will do even residential subdivisions is they'll do the plan of subdivision and then you know, maybe there's 400, 500 houses, but there's always, they almost make them like little miniature communities where in the middle of it all, they'll have some kind of a commercial plaza that'll have, you know, restaurant cafes, kind of that kind of stuff. And it always drove me crazy here because here we just do sheets of houses for miles and miles and miles and don't stick anything in the middle. So you have no choice but to drive your car. So I think what Pat was saying with this development, and you know, we're kind of joking about the parking issue, I, I would assume that the commercial aspect of it really is going to be there to serve the community, that this new community that they, they're building, which will bring a lot of people to that area, and the businesses can key off them, and just the people in the general area. 
uh, it would be nice if, you know, when we do it, because let's face it, we're going to keep doing future subdivisions here. They're not all going to be right downtown. That they should, they should actually do them like they do them. I say down south because that's where I've seen them. But, again, make, make these mega project housing developments almost like little communities unto themselves where you can still walk to go to a restaurant. Or you can still walk to go to grab a drink or there's a little market down there somewhere. And, you know, kind of focus and make them like little towns all over the place. I wish we did that here. This seems to be, I don't know if it's because they're an American developer, they're kind of looking at it that way. Uh, so, you know, hopefully, you know, people take the good from this and realize that, hey, it can work. And, you know, maybe we can integrate it into some of our future developments to make them better than just acres and acres of rows and rows of houses. I, you know, I'm going to throw in a little history here for those that recall the drama over the site uh, of the not too uh, distant past. Um, and, and of course, I think, oh my gosh, somewhere probably in the archives, probably back when we were on CJAM, um, we probably addressed this because I was in the thick of it. But you'll recall uh, when uh, Eddie Francis was mayor, he had come up with a concept for the Grace uh, site after they had um, either cleared it or with the intention of demolishing what was left of Grace Hospital on that site and had approached the Greek community. Does anybody remember this? Any flashbacks here? Had approached the Greek community um, and wanted to barter a deal uh, where that would see the uh, Greek community um, pass over the Walker Walker Road lands. And so for those that don't know what I'm referring to, they are now developed by the Greek community. There's a church and community center. The uh, Hellenic um, uh, Cultural Center is there. Obviously, it's been developed. That was uh, almost 12 acres of land um, right at uh, the uh, northeast corner of Walker and E.C. Row. And um, th that land had not yet been developed by the Greek community, so it was in the hand their hands. And uh, uh, Eddie Francis, at the time, came up with a plan to swap Walker Road with the Grace Hospital site so that the Greek community could build its church and community center, ultimately pretty well what they built there, but with really a, a, another kind of design with some future sort of housing possible components and some commercial for sure, elements uh, facing University Avenue and oh my gosh I'm trying to I'm on the I'm on my phone right now trying to uh, because you know I don't want to say uh, so I will stand to be corrected but I believe that the swap but what they wanted the Greek community to purchase it for was 1.6 million dollars that was the gray site um, plus the Walker Road and then when there was big pushback from the community about that then there were some some reworkings but always the value, um, what the city did was they valued uh, Walker Road property. They, they brought in appraisals. And um, if you looked at those appraisals, I mean, ridiculously low for Walker Road and kind of high for Grace Hospital. It's just amazing. I think there needs to be like, I don't know how appraisals work, Don. You might have a, a sort of some comment on there, but it's kind of like amazing to me how, how off they could possibly be in some circumstances and you have to question what the heck is going on there. But uh, I look back and I, I, I can't really sort of help but grin uh, because many of us felt that those values were completely off for those properties. The unfortunate part in my recollection of that experience was that I happened to be on the same side of people who oppose that plan 
for completely different purposes. And you know how sometimes you, you are on the same side for completely different reasons with people that you actually don't even like and they don't, you don't like their arguments. So, you know, people were like, ah, we don't want to go to grace. There's, there's, you know, meth, you know, um, sites there and there's uh, drug addicts there. I mean, just these nasty comments of why people didn't want to be there that were also technically on the same side of people who didn't want to be there, not because they didn't want to be there. They thought it, it, it might have been an actual fantastic um, uh, opportunity for all part parties involved, but the numbers were way off, way off. And, um, and as we can see, uh, many years later, the numbers were way off. Yeah, I mean, appraisals, like you're talking about with appraisals, appraisals are almost art form more than actual science. Uh, the theory of real estate is a property is worth what its highest and best value is. So it depends. As a church property and community center, yeah, it's probably worth less than, obviously, as a residential development because, you know, a 60-foot lot goes for $100,000, so you can do the math on that. I just pulled up the story real quick from 2012. So the city of Windsor purchased its seven-acre Grace Hospital property for a reported $2.1 million in 2012. And if they're now selling it for $1.2, they're the only people in this entire city who's lost money in real estate in the last eight years. And somehow that takes a lot of effort to be that bad at it. Uh, so, I mean, I understand they're probably selling it cheap just because they want something to happen there. Uh, but, yeah, Pat, you're right, because when the numbers – I remember – vaguely the numbers you were speaking of they seem kind of insane uh he was basically giving you nothing for your property and saying grace you know like living in los angeles so yeah i think you dodged a bullet there and yet still somehow we've managed to lose almost a million dollars on this deal so i see the maiden winter solutions are still working quite well well, well when you're yeah, I was going to say the 1.2 million. I mean, that's a package, right? They're looking at the what you know the big picture sure, of what yeah. they're getting. So I don't know that it's a true reflection under those circumstances. When um, um, uh, you know that I think that's a little bit of a different. I don't think you can say that's actually the value of the property now or whatever it is. But uh, deals are deals. That's the whole point. And um, some deals are better than others. Yeah. 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 When you look at. Um, you know, I assume that a municipality will factor in future tax revenue um, when they think about the total value of a piece of property. So it's whatever they're paying in property tax now for, well, I guess nobody's paying tax nobody's now. Paying and, anything, yeah. and, and a church wouldn't pay tax. So, you know, thinking about it as, as uh, multi-residential, then it would significantly, um, it would significantly improve future revenue for the city. What are you showing us, Don? That's the uh, Greek town development, that former Grace Hospital that Pat was uh, supposed to build. Right. Way to go, Pat. It looked pretty nice, too. You really screwed um, that up. I have to say that I, I don't think that the Grace Hospital site and the focus on that was actually the uh, primary object of that negotiation. I believe the Walker Road lands. Yeah, 100%. Uh, important uh, piece uh, to, the, to the bargain. Um, and Grace Hospital was, um, in some ways, um, it took care of a problem. And, and that problem has existed for a while, ever since... Um, you know, from the minute Grace Hospital closed down in the community in terms of what happened there and what was supposed to happen there. And don't forget that that location, in fact, let's not forget, uh, was also part of the original plan uh, for the new hospital. So we often think about the mega hospital and the movement to uh, the potential that it moves to uh, 42 as the plan. 
Uh, and that is a, a, a very wrong way to look at it. The original plan involved what would happen with the shutdown of the, the hospitals in the core and what other services would be available. And you'll remember that the Gray site was in fact a component of that plan as well. So some unanswered questions on this plan. You know, we've got, we've got you know, forward 42, we've got, you know, major uh, Crestview, you know, and yet, um, where are those components of the plan that have dropped literally off the face of the earth, namely Grace Hospital, um, and we're still just talking of, uh, you know, all things forward, one thing. I know I'm going on to another topic. I can't actually, you know, you know have a conversation without mentioning the biggest issue of all. But, um, you know, uh, good for Grace, uh, that, that land uh, uh, on Grace uh, Hospital, and for those that at least have one connection to Grace, that's the, where my children were born, and um, it'll it'll always have as land I think some some really you know significant uh, parts to this community and I really wish that neighborhood well because I think it is a long forgotten and neglected area by the municipality um, including um, you know other levels of government and um, you know no shortage of, of me picking on some other levels of government including Brian Massey who was supposed to champion that corridor for all the years he was uh, elected um, both as a counselor and and ultimately at other levels and um, the state of what it is today has been because of short-sightedness and a lack of leadership. Yeah the Grace Hospital site's always to use a sports analogy and a trade it was always kind of a you get this and a player to be named later so like, oh here you can have Grace too because nobody else wants it right. Yeah, <laughs> it's it still had the best sign in development history. Future home of the proposed acute care facility. <laughs> <laughs> Just so many asterisks that are necessary there. I loved it. I think if you, um, I think if you drive around town, you can we see are ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are ready. At we some are point. ready for the proposed. What was it? <laughs> the future future home of the proposed. <laughs> Uh, but l let's move on to the next topic here. Thank you to the City of Windsor for putting out this news release, said sarcastically. Mayor Dilkins to host virtual meeting for Ward 7 residents. In the absence of a ward councillor, Mayor Dilkins is making it easier for Ward 7 residents to make their views and concerns heard during the ongoing pandemic. Tonight, residents of Ward 7 can take part in a virtual tele telephone meeting that will include interactive components, survey questions, and live audience questions. Now, this is just isn't a normal call-in. The city is partnering with a professional third-party service provider that's going to be supplying the technology necessary to facilitate this process. Um, you have to have a landline phone you have to have not signed up for the do not call list. And then if you had done either of those things, you'll get a voicemail and then you'll be able to call in to take part. It's not the most simple process to take part in. And it doesn't seem as if it's designed to get the largest grouping of people, but hey, they're making the effort. Uh, the release goes on to make note that because the Ward 7 by-election was postponed and not yet rescheduled, that these types of tools are necessary. Mayor Dilkins says, I know residents are never shy about contacting my office with local issues of concern, but we want to just make sure it's a little bit easier for residents to participate from the comfort of their own homes. And the mayor went on to say on Twitter again that he's looking forward to hosting this town hall as the resident's voice on council. So 
this well, is I, just... I think it's I think it's important to add too, John. There were two other requirements from this company: is it had to be a rotary dial phone, and if you're on your, <laughs> and if you're on your computer, it has to be Windows ninety eight compatible because that's the level of technology we're at right now. I, I know we don't live in Ward Seven, but just as as just like you know, informal survey here: who here has a landline? Exactly. I haven't seen one in years. I, I haven't had one in 18 years. So they don't care about what you have to say. So, you know, it's Obviously a pretty target, right? It's, a- <laughs> it's going to be Drew and his mom and aunt on the phone line. That's what it's going to be. That sounds like 100% attendance of those who were sought to provide input. Um, you know, I guess it's good. Providing Ward 7 residents the opportunity to uh, engage in a forum beyond just uh, emailing in to the clerk's office or trying to get the ear of other counselors to take up their uh, concerns. Good. Necessary. We've talked about this issue and how they don't have their representative right now. Um, I want to just go straight into the politics of this, though. Mayor Dilkins, I'm the voice of Ward 7. Okay. I I don't believe that when they made their vote for uh, Councillor Kuzmerchuk that it was actually making a vote for Mayor Dilkins to be their voice on council. It's just, it's a real broad way. I mean, listen, in absence of leadership, you know, it's a vacuum. So there's the opportunity here for someone to step up. And I don't think anyone would have expected other councillors to necessarily take on, uh, I don't know, this initiative. The mayor has the most to gain, I suppose, or potentially the most to lose by not trying to show this level of engagement with Ward 7. But I mean, what are your guys' take on this? I just, I was, when you first showed that to me, Doug, the tweet from him saying that as their voice on council, I was flabbergasted to see that. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, choice of phrase, isn't it? Uh, I guess it's true, like technically true, that um, in the absence of a ward councillor, the mayor would be the person to whom you would voice your concerns. It's just a really odd choice in terms of how he phrased it. Um, One thing I want to correct, if I understand the way that the technology works, um, every single landline in Ward 7 that hasn't opted out will be called, and all you have to do is stay on the line to take part in the town hall. So this is something that you see, uh, um, you typically uh, with um, with research organizations who are trying to gather information um, in a particular area or a particular geographic area. I, to my knowledge, I don't think the city has ever used this technology before. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see this now, but the main thing that, um, that all of this, uh, the, you know, the news release and the mayor's tweet made me think about is um, what is his interest in the Ward 7 race, you know, like what, um, what is he hoping to glean from this? Um, And where, where would the mayor hope for Ward 7 to go? Looking at the 12 names on the list, um, is there, do you think he has a preference? Tough call. I mean, I don't see anyone who's in the Ward 7 race that would be you know, super quote unquote conservative, keep the line safe, you know, hold the line on taxes type person. So yeah, maybe, maybe he's trying to garner some control of that situation now and try to get somebody on board. Let me flip the question around, Don. Do you think he has a not preference? No, I think, yeah, all 12 of them. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think about all 12, but I agree. I think it's, I think, I think Doug, you, 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 you're right on the question. It's um, who would I not 
prefer to see on there, right? Um, and I don't think you have to be conservative. Um, I think that you simply have to be a, a yes person, or at least of a, of a yes person to um, be easy to trade with on issues, because we know that that's kind of what happens on, on the resolution of a lot of um, uh, things at council, right? You give a little, and I'll give a little, and, and all of that, come on board with this one, and you know, I'll throw you um, a nugget there. So, um, you know, and so where there is perhaps, you know, uh, uh, a lack of backbone or principle, uh, some people are easier, easier on, on, on those issues than others. I think, I think the language that he used in saying, I am, you know, your voice or your representative, um, you know, I think that's kind of unfortunate language uh, because I don't think you need to um, use it that way. That may not have been the mayor himself that, that did that tweet, who knows. Um, but um, it's an interesting exercise. Uh, I think that, you know, it could only um, garner more, more sort of intel is if it, it was followed by a, a poll <laughs> following the call. Uh, it, you know, if they do ask questions on issues uh, where that data goes, um, it's, it's fascinating. It might just be a, a regular call. And um, again, you know, it's going to not be, even if they did do a poll, uh, the demographic that they're going to get for reasons that were already said about the landline uh, would would only be, mind you, uh, probably I'm going to I'm going to take a stab at this and suggest that that demographic is probably more likely than not to vote compared to other demographics. So even in a by election, so uh, some interesting, um, you know, it'll be interesting to think what he to see what he thinks the issues are and how that goes as an exercise for him. Yeah, you know. Um... Every Ward 7 candidate would want to be on this call. Um, this, is, this is good information for you uh, and free. This is a free focus group for you if you're a Ward 7 candidate. So I guess it's unfortunate that so many of the candidates don't reside in the ward and therefore will not receive the call and be able to participate in the town hall. Hopefully they or, know somebody and can be visiting socially distantly with a mask on at somebody's home who has a landline. Yeah, so you've got about three and a half hours, anyone. Oh, no, sorry. We, we actually are broadcasting this after the meeting started. So if you're hearing this right now, you've lost your opportunity. <laughs> sorry about that. We hope that you had a chance to be represented. Um, yeah, so that list of candidates hasn't changed, obviously. We've spoken about it before. But I, I, I will just go back to what you were saying, Doug. You know, looking at some of the names there, like who would the mayor might not want to see? In that council seat, there are definitely a few that stand out that have been just, you know, vocal opposition to, you know, a lot of things. Howard Weeks, uh, right off the top of uh, my head, for example, advocating strongly for, uh, you know, a fully independent auditor general. You see uh, Angelo Marignani, uh, well-known name. He's been onside and offside with the mayor um, on a number of issues in the past. Um, and then, you know, even to uh, Farah El Hajj who uh, works in, or did, uh, I believe she still works in Brian Massey's office. So, I mean, there's definitely going to be some, you know, where does the mayor want to see, you know, pushback or a lack thereof pushback. But I think it would be remiss to not note that the release from the city, although it does seem like it actually comes from the mayor's office, it notes that this is a virtual pilot project for all ward meetings moving forward. So it'll be interesting to see if they do use this third party telephone software for the other wards as well. And then, you know, I think a further conversation about the fact that it doesn't provide access to all residents is one that needs to be brought up. 
But if you're a Ford Senate candidate and you can actually participate on this meeting because you have a landline, landline I'm not voting for you anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I, I, you know, I, the only thing, and it's a minor point, I don't know that I would agree with the uh, um, characterization of uh, Angelo Marinani as a candidate. I think that uh, I, maybe I'm wrong. I would have to go back and look. I don't see him as a standout uh, voice of opposition. And in fact, um, and I, in some ways, I think he might be a front runner simply for the, because of the many, uh, how, how often he ran in the past and, and that name recognition. But um, I don't know that I would put him on that category for sure. Howard Weeks stands up and I, I agree with your assessment on any candidate that is, uh, has affiliation to union and sort of NDP sort of support there. Um, and I think there are at least two of them, um, Mallet or Malad, I, I, I never remember how to pronounce that name is another one that comes to mind um, because of that, um, uh, of, of what he brings to the table. So, yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right that there are some that, that could be bounced off. I don't know if Angelo is one of them. Yeah, I would agree with Pat on that one. I, uh, of all of them, I would actually think the mayor would want Angelo probably the most because Angelo's, you know, Angelo's a business owner. He had a business downtown for a long time. And I think, I think the mayor feels like he can work with people like that. And I think Angelo would play ball and some stuff too. Uh, whereas, yeah, like you said, I think there's a whole list of others that, you know, he would like to put on the Titanic and hope they never came back. So. Well, Pat was able to say that she disagreed with me on Angelo, but she also said I was absolutely right. So, Don, you need to work on your bedside now. Oh, yeah, well, oh, Pat, Pat drinks a lot. She's not in school right now, and she's, not, you know, so. She's just sitting in a parking lot. She's sitting in a parking lot. Exactly. <laughs> she's at the Mission parking lot for Grandma. Who knows what's This is not even that. a question of doing a shot every time we mention parking. You just sort of <laughs> put the parking lot behind you and put the bottle out, you're good to go. Hey, it's coronavirus. We all start drinking at 8.30 in the morning now. Come on. <laughs> Eight thirty in the morning before we uh, leave today, and, and I don't know if we're wrapping it up, but I, I don't. I do want to say that I had the pleasure this morning on being on Pretty in the Algorithm, uh, a show that's on at nine thirty live. Um, I think I have it on my Facebook page for those that know it with um, Six Six Langman and Justice. Hargrove, and um, I didn't know what hat I would be wearing when they invited me on, because I wear a few hats, right? So I didn't know, and it turned out that I was wearing the Rose City Politics co-host hat. So I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see it. I hope that I, I did you okay, because uh, that was the, the hat that I was wearing, because as I saw it, my name was like Pat Papadea's Rose City Politics. So I want to give a shout out to them and thank them for doing a great show and uh, for having me on. So I just want to point that out. Sure, you did a fabulous I, job, Pat. I will listen in happily to hear what you Thank have to say. You. Yes. Thank you. So this is going to do it for us tonight. It has been July 22nd of us doing this live on tape from self-isolation. So thank you for getting through this with us. If you are a Patreon subscriber, thank you so much. If you're not, go give us money. We want your money. We want all of it. Money us now. Also, kind thanks to Leuna625, Building Better Communities, for helping to make this show possible. So that'll do it for us, and we will see you next week on the podcast.